Welcome to the second part of our Iconic Dishes in Canada series. Before we get into the subject of this episode, I wanted to talk a little about other gastronomic creations that were created in this great country of ours. Now, whether they're good or not, you tell me. Ketchup chips or crisps. Invented by Hostess, now Lay's, back in the 1970s, I wonder why this flavor never caught on as much as it did here in Canada. I mean, ketchup and french fries, a pairing made in heaven, right? Remember when Hostess chips used to come in a foil-lined paper bag? I'm going to go back to the late 70s when we were kids. And we used to just be able to bring our empty pop bottles to the convenience store, usually Max. Uh, We'd load up our bags with our precious empties and carefully hang them off our handlebars. And then we'd ride our bikes to Max. And once we got there, we'd get cash for our empties and then shop. We'd buy candy and slushes and bags of chips. And every once in a while, Hostess would have contests where they would give you a free bag of chips. And you just open the bag and it would be printed inside that you were a winner in blue ink. So what we would do is poke a tiny hole in the front and then you peek inside as best you can to see if you could see blue ink and then buy those ones. We were, we were bastards. Hawaiian pizza. Yes, invented in Canada by Sam Panopoulos, clearly Greek-Canadian, for his restaurant Satellite Restaurant in Chatham, Kent, Ontario in 1962. Pineapple on pizza has been the catalyst for many heated debates on and offline ever since it was first introduced. Now, I can be honest with you all and tell you that this was one of my favorite pizzas on when I was a kid. But what kid wouldn't like sweet and tart pineapple paired with the salty and savory ham? But then again, I kind of like those eclectic toppings like Greek pizza with onion, olives, feta, and tomatoes. It really depends on what kind of crust we're talking about. Now, you can really pile on lots of toppings on a pizza with a thicker crust. And to be honest, pizza is one of those foods that one simply can't ask, you know, where's the best pizza? There are so many other factors to consider. A thick or thin crust, Greek style, Detroit style, New York, Neapolitan, Regina... Yeah, Regina has a pizza style. And if you know, you know. Houston pizza. That's all I'm going to say. Hawkins Cheesies. Now, the history of Hawkins Cheesies dates back to the early 1900s when W.T. Hawkins Limited was founded in Chicago by Willard Trice Hawkins. The development of cheesies, a snack made by extruding cornmeal into various shapes, cooking them in vegetable shortening and coating them in aged cheddar cheese, was influenced by Jim Marker, who perfected the craft and the confectionery industry. Now, the popularity of cheesies led to the establishment of W.T. Hawkins Limited in Tweed, Ontario, strategically located between Toronto and Montreal for efficient distribution. However, a fire destroyed that factory in 1956, prompting a relocation to Belleville, Ontario. The company focused exclusively on cheesies and has maintained its production in Belleville ever since. The manufacturing process remains largely unchanged, with the original cornmeal extruders designed by Jim Marker still in use. Hawkins Cheesies have become a beloved Canadian snack with a unique crunch and flavor profile 
that sets them apart from other cheese snacks. Now, that was from Wiki. Now, I love these things. Compared to Cheetos, I find that cheesies have a more aged cheddar profile and a much more pronounced crunchy texture. And I like that because it has a little more satisfaction to it when you when you snack on these. And it's not like just eating a bunch of air like you would get with, say, like cheese puffs or the balls. And I like that. I like it. Here's a tip. Eat them with chopsticks. If you're at work and you don't want to get your fingers or your keyboard dirty, eat them with chopsticks. Joe Luis snack cakes. These were what wagon wheels aspired to be and what every kid hoped they would see when they popped open their lunchboxes. Made in Quebec, a Jolouis is a chocolate sponge cake with a cream layer center coated in chocolate. Now created by Joseph Arquette Vachon and Rosanna Giraud in 1923 and named after their sons Joseph and Louis. You can think of Vachon as the hostess of Canada, with the Jolouis being like the Canadian version of like uh, Ding Dong. Other notable products from Vachon include the Passion Flaky, a flaky pastry filled with cream and fruit jam, or the May West, which is a vanilla version of the Jolouis. So like I said before, if you had one of these in your lunchbox, you pretty much could trade for anything in the room. Coffee Crisp. The Coffee Crisp was introduced in 1938 by a UK company called Roundtree. And it was a coffee-flavored version of a bar that they had called the Bisquisp, which consisted of alternating layers of vanilla wafer and a soft candy filling coated in chocolate. Now, Nestle acquired Roundtree in 1988, which included the Toronto factory where the Coffee Crisp is produced to this day. Now, if you eat this bar by just biting the whole thing, you're likely one of those people who eat Kit Kats without breaking them apart. You're an animal. Big Turk. Another candy bar based on Turkish Delight. Now, if you don't know what that is, traditionally a Turkish Delight is a candy confection consisting of like a flavored gel or starch paste flavored with lemon, bergamot, or orange. And sometimes they have pistachios or nuts inside. And they're cut into squares and they're dusted with cream of tartar to keep them from being sticky. Now, the Big Turk is a modern version of that candy being more berry flavored and coated with chocolate instead of cream of tartar. So if you like Big Turk bars, you probably keep a pair of reading glasses in every major room of the house. But they're really good, though. Seriously, I like them. They're not overly sweet. For one thing, that's one thing I like about having a dessert or a candy or something like that. I don't like it cloyingly sweet. And then they last longer than a regular candy bar because they're so chewy. And because it has the chewiness and the chocolate, it just seems like they last longer. That's why I like them. They're really good. You never had one? Try them. Hickory Sticks, another Hostess potato snack introduced in the 70s. These are hickory-flavored crisps made from julienne potatoes. These ones, I can take them or leave them. If you eat them from the bag, they remind me texturally of the last 
remnants of the chips when you get a normal bag of chips, a part that you shake into your mouth. But when you use them as, you know, component of a bigger dish, like topping for a salad or chili or in a sandwich, in a sandwich is really good. Then you got something there. That's hickory sticks. Swiss chalet sauce. Here's a weird one. Swiss chalet is a restaurant chain that started on Bloor Street in Toronto in 1954 and now has locations all over the country. And they specialize, if you've never been, in roasted rotisserie chicken and ribs. And they are the source of much dining nostalgia. You know what else they're the source of? Swiss chalet sauce. And if you've ever eaten at a Swiss, you know what I'm talking about. Because you either love this sauce or you hate it. The thing is, before Costco and all the grocery stores had roast chicken, Swiss chalet was the place to go. And the sauce was a distinct part of the Swiss chalet experience. Its unique flavor, and to the best of my ability to describe it, it I would say that it's, it's like a poultry gravy, a little tart, with a definite herbaceous signature. And then now it just like, when I think about it, it takes me back to the 80s. I dated a girl when I was in high school who worked as a bus person at Swiss, and her older sister worked there as a server. So it seemed that we were frequently at Swiss Chalet, either before or after her shifts. And this was the location that used to be on McLeod Trail. It was the big one on McLeod Trail and has long since closed. It's now... Uh, a friend of mine and her husband actually bought that building and now they have it as a a strip mall with a bunch of different businesses in it now. Anyways, at the time, McLeod Trail was a place to go for those kind of 80s restaurants. And when you're in high school, we'd go cruising. If you don't know what that is, it's just driving in your car up and down the road and chilling with your friends. We go cruising and we would go eat at spots like, you know, like the original Earl's at Southland Crossing. You know, and there's a movie theater that used to be there as well. Bonanza was one that all you can eat shrimp and steakhouse or go to the mall, go to Chinook or go to South Center, the mall food court. Yes, kids, before the internet, we would cruise. You'd have your driver's license the minute you turn 16, you'd buy a, you know, $400 beater car and you'd go cruise and you could buy a tank of gas for 20 bucks. So you see what happened there? I was talking about the taste of Swiss chalet sauce in my mind went like all ratatouille and warped me back to high school summer cruising. <laughs> oh God. This is Jade Alcoro and you're listening to the Aimless Cook Podcast. <laughs> Maybe that Swiss chalet sauce isn't so bad after all. I mean, you know, wow, it triggered some nostalgia. And speaking of that sauce or gravy, its popularity is a source of debate among diners. It must be good for enough people as it's available in stores. 
But Swiss Chalet chicken isn't the only thing people are divided on because the dish I'm talking about today is also the source of much debate when it comes to what makes it perfect. So if we're talking about Canada's most iconic dish, let's start with the elephant in the room because it's staring at us and it's nudging us with its trunk. And I'm talking about poutine. And in case you didn't know, poutine is a Canadian dish consisting of crispy fries, cheese curds, important to say cheese curds, not shredded cheese, as those are different. Those are disco fries, all covered in a gravy or a house sauce, sauce maison. There are a few stories and places that lay claim to this dish, but it is certain that poutine was conceptualized, I'll say, in the 50s in rural Quebec. One of the most widely known stories points to a small town called Warwick, Quebec, and is also home to many dairy farmers who produce the cheese curds that are vital to this dish, squeaky cheese curds. I'll get to that in a second. Warwick is also home to a restaurant called Le Lutin Kiwi. I probably butchered that name. So let's go to my friend, Marie-Jeanne Levesque, and see how we properly pronounce that name. Le Lutin Kiwi. Yeah, so I totally butchered that. Thank you, Marie. So in 1957, at the request of one of his regulars, Fernand started adding cheese curds to fries. And it became a popular dish, but customers were finding that the dish became cold too quickly. I'm guessing it's kind of like how nachos get when you wait too long and they just become one piece. To solve this problem, Fernand added gravy to keep everything warm. And what he had was a hot mess, which coincidentally is where the name poutine comes from, as it is a slang word for a mess. Another popular claim comes from Drummondville, Quebec, where a restaurant called Le Roy Giuseppe also lays claim to the invention of poutine. In fact, the owner, John Paul Roy, in 1964, registered a trademark stating that his restaurant was the first to have served the version of poutine that we all know and love today. Now, if you look at the two dates from the origin stories that took place here. You can see that it is likely, and one of my friends actually said this too, that um, that the dish originated and evolved in Warwick and then was made into the poutine that we know today that was, of course, patented or registered by Roy Giuseppe. These days, you can find poutine almost everywhere. Fast food chains usually have it on their menus here in Canada, including A&W, Burger King, and McDonald's. Usually, if you're not in Quebec, the best poutine is often served in pubs and restaurants that specialize in poutine. Okay, so what goes into a really good poutine? Let's ask my friend, Chef Steve Glavishish. Hi, I'm Steve Lavishish. I'm the executive chef of the Youth Culinary Arts Program at uh, Woods Homes in Calgary, Alberta, and a native of Montreal. And my good friend Jay asked me to mention a few things that I look for in a perfect poutine and what makes a good poutine. But so I think the, the main thing for me has to start with the french fries because if the fries don't stand up as the foundation the rest of the house falls down so nice crispy double fried chips uh fluffy in the middle 
Then you move on to the cheese, you know, and you have to have the proper squeak factor in the cheese. So, you know, um, there's been many different versions of it tried over the years, but the old school is still the tried and true favorite of mine. And when it comes to gravy, here's where it gets a little controversial. Some people think it should be a beef gravy. Some people feel a chicken gravy. Myself, personally, I like a mixed bag gravy of a little bit of flavors of a, a bunch of different stuff. And put it all together, let it melt together. It has to be layered properly uh, so you get the proper stretch factor while you're eating. And um, all together, still one of my favorite snacks. So uh, thanks for the opportunity, Jay. And if you find yourself in Englewood, Calgary, please come and visit us at the Youth Culinary Arts Program at Woods Homes. We have a wonderful market there where we sell all the great stuff that our kids make and program. Thanks. Thank you, Chef Steve. That description pretty much sums up what a really good poutine is. And I'll go through a couple of the points there that really stand out. And one of them is the cheese curds. Curds, not regular cheese or shredded cheese. Anything like that is not poutine. But the cheese curds have to be squeaky. And I'll explain that. Because fresh cheese curds... They're made up with these proteins called casein, and they're held together by calcium phosphate bonds. And this network of proteins is very springy, and it makes that signature squeak when you bite into them. It's very kind of firm yet elastic. And this phenomenon, though, only lasts for a few days. So that signature squeak is a very good indicator, telltale sign, on how fresh that cheese curd is. So that's a point to take into consideration. Now, like he said before, with the gravy, gravy or the house sauce or poutine sauce, whatever you want to call it, the gravy that sits in the middle of his flavor spectrum. For me, I kind of like, it really depends on how I feel, to be honest with you. And that's why something like this cannot be just one way. And we're going to talk about, you know, the absurdity of authenticity in a little in a little bit here but i like gravy that sits in the middle of that flavor spectrum as well so you i like flavorful but not too deeply complex and it has to play well with the other components so i mean like it can't be something that is like really you know dark beefy you know like uh some say like i've seen some places that will use like a demi-glace which is just like really really you know deep but you want it to play with the well with the other components because you have this wonderful fresh cheese curd and of course the taste of the the chips themselves and the fries right you want it you don't want it to be sort of balanced that's what i think anyways and like i said there can be different moods when it comes to poutine like wines and sometimes you want something very beefy and then there's sometimes you want something more poultry and like i said poultry base with herbal notes and there are lots of poutine especially in quebec that feature that sort of flavor profile and like i said like in quebec there's a lot of debate about this as well and i'll get into a debate that actually was recently going on here in Calgary as well on Facebook. Now, of course, these days there are many different interpretations of poutine. And as expected, 
Many places, you know, have elevated this dish, including famous restaurants in, in Quebec, like Pied de Cochon, or Charcut, or places like, I, had a, I have a friend who had a place called Brasserie Kensington, Cam Dobransky, shout out. Um, we had like, you know, duck fat fries and this wonderful gravy that's, you know, all very, very good versions of this dish. And of course, there's also variations on the sauce, which include one that's just very famous as well called, you know, with the uh, butter chicken. And we talked about butter chicken a few episodes ago on the episode with my friend chef uh, Deepak Singh Kalsi who talked about butter chicken I've seen that I've seen also butter chicken on baked potato which is also delicious one of my favorite variations on poutine is a la galvod galvod which is classic poutine with shredded roast chicken and green peas and it's fantastic but I mean, there's lots of kinds of uh, things that go really well with that profile. Like, you know, because what are you thinking about? We're thinking about, we were, we're looking at potatoes, gravy, and melty cheese curds. What would go well with it? Well, since chicken and green peas go well, what about a Thanksgiving dinner? And I've seen it. Big cheese is a poutinery, and they they have one, and you can get the whole thing like roast chicken or turkey peas and i believe they also put a uh, cranberry sauce as well it's delicious and of course you can get ones with smoked meat montreal smoked meat also very good they're all great so like i said i was alluding to there's this facebook debate and someone on the calgary foodies group on facebook posted quote Seriously, Calgary, stop screwing around and give me the best poutine. I have tried all of your suggestions and they are all bad. I want dark gravy, curds, crispy fries. Crispy spelt with a CH for emphasis, I'm hoping. This post has over 375 comments. And it's been going on for a few days now. And as you can imagine, there is much to unpack with a thread like this, right? One, the sheer number of comments on this topic suggests to me that everyone has an opinion on what the best poutine in Calgary is. Two, the original poster is never satisfied with any of the suggestion because this person is from Ontario and there is nothing here that compares to Ontario poutine. Three, it seems that everyone is trying to appease this person. Like, why? I have no idea. I've been following this post since February 23rd, and it just goes on. So, of course, the recommendations ranged from cheap and accessible, right? Like Costco, Costco poutine. If you ever had Costco poutine, I've had it. Of course I've had it. I like their wings. They used to have wings. I don't know if they have wings anymore. But yeah, one of the things that they do have there is poutine. One of the hacks is you can order the poutine and get 
an extra bag of curds. I think it's like super cheap too, too. And it's a lot. It's a lot of cheese. So if you want to just like buy a bunch of cheese curds, do that. So <laughs> Costco to New York fries. And on, on the cheap and accessible end, to places that expect that uh, poutine should be made correctly, like Flavors of Montreal in Airdrie or Monza. And there was also one Myers Deli as well that came up. Flavors of Montreal, I haven't been to, but apparently the guy who owns Flavors of Montreal used to run a place in Temple called King of Subs, Alberta King of Subs, which I do know had really good Montreal smoked meat sandwiches. And I believe I've had his poutine as well, but this was years ago. But now it appears that he is in Airdrie, him and his wife, I forget his name now, uh, yeah, running Flavors of Montreal. So, but that's one person, right? You look at one person who ran, you know, a Montreal smoked meat or poutinery that comes here and you think that's probably the best person who will make poutine. Like there's many places ranging in between from, you know, Peter's drive-in to Leopold's. Now, going on, someone posted something that I wanted to talk about in the comments. And from the looks of it, the comment was removed for some reason because I can't find it and I don't know why, but I'm kind of a little disappointed that it was taken out because it illustrates a great point that I wanted to expand on, and that is on food authenticity and the absurdity of it. I'll say it. I don't know how many people or chefs or anyone has talked about the absurdity of food authenticity, but it is. Food authenticity is nothing but a snapshot taken at a specific time and place that is forever etched in our memory on what a dish is expected to look and taste like. It is very specific, like in the example of the original poster's requirements that their ideal poutine should have dark beef gravy, curds, and crispy fries, spelt with a CH. But for many, it can be very personal, like your authentic chicken soup that your mom used to make when you were 10 years old and you were home with a cold. And years later, years later, you never found that authentic chicken soup again. Why is that? Because you're not sick, because you're not 10. And sure, you could get your mom to make it, but would it be the same? Maybe, but probably not exactly like you remember it. And that's the point, right? Authenticity is a 3 a.m. post-drunken chili dog at 7-Eleven. Or a smoky from one of those carts from outside the club you just came out of, stumbled out of. It's things like that, highly fueled by nostalgia, that creates these, you know, kind of pictures in our mind or these kind of states in our mind of what something should taste like, what should it be like, what should be in it. And this came up with also someone else on Facebook who was looking for an authentic butter chicken, which had cashews in the sauce. And yes, I know my friend, uh, 
who was talking to Chef Deepak was talking about a cashew gravy as well. But, um, but I mean, that's the thing. Like, there's so many ways to make something that people would think is authentic, like pad thai. If you go have pad thai at one place, someone is going to be making it different at the next street cart or at the next restaurant. It's just a matter of, you know, who's making it, how they remember pad thai or how they think pad thai should taste. Or in this case, poutine, like some call it a gravy, some call it a sauce, right? And there are debates like this like I just said, in Quebec all the time. Some like Le Banquise, some like Roy Giuseppe, some like beefy sauce, some like the chicken with herbal notes. The point is that there's never one correct iteration of a dish. Food is evolving at a very rapid pace, and it doesn't care about how you want to remember it. There are places, yes, that will make a dish a certain way that they think is best, and they want to preserve that iteration, that version And for that reason, there are many people that like it and that appreciate that. And yes, I feel that there is a place for that too. And there's many reasons to do that, be it for flavor, nostalgia, or of course, like I just said, cultural significance. But seriously, if there's no place you can find that will deliver the product that you remember, then make it yourself. So I wanted to finish this episode off with a listener mail. And Bronwyn from Instagram wrote, I just learned what a lunchbox moment was. This is referring to episode 16. She wrote, just learned what a lunchbox moment... She wrote, just learned what a lunchbox moment was and came here to say thank you. Well, you're welcome. I remember the meals. Rice, Chinese sausage, egg, pickled greens. For some reason, salad rolls were weird. The Chinese kind of juice boxes that you could never trade for snacks. Leftover random meats and stuff I wouldn't eat for dinner the night before. This, this is where her talking about her lunches growing up. My favorite lunchbox moment story, she says. I told my Asian dad who did lunches that I wanted sandwiches sometimes. At one point I said, I like cheese and jam and peanut butter and jam. I got to school one day and had a peanut butter, cheese, and jam sandwich. I remember taking the cheese off. Just love the effort my dad took back then. That's an awesome message. So thank you so much, Bronwyn, for sending me that. I love to share all of your messages and your memories as well. So be sure when you listen, if, you know... You want to say anything, you want to suggest anything or write, you know, memories of your own, let me know. Let me know or leave me actually a voice message on Facebook or on Instagram. Thing is right now that with Facebook, I find you have a longer time to express yourself. Whereas on Instagram, your time limit is cut to like 60 seconds. So if you want to send me like a really good message, send it to me like a voice message, send it to me on Facebook. And you can find me on Jade L. Coral on Facebook or on the page, The Aimless Cook. So do that, please, because I really want to hear all of your stuff. And I will share them uh, on the show. So please do. So 
yeah, that was our thing about Putin. I hope you enjoyed it. You'd hear me, I say it in a couple ways. I say Putin and Putin, which reminds me of another story. And I'm going to close with this story because back when I was doing YouTube, there was another uh, video, you know, creator who cooked called, and her name on her channel was Average Betty. And this video might still be up, but one day she messaged me and she said, she said, she asked me, she said, how do you, how do you pronounce Putin? And I was thinking like, well, a lot of people in Quebec will say Putin, which I was trying to write in my best words, how you would say that phonetically. And what happened was she went on to make this video making Putin or Putin, and she called it Putin through the whole video. And man, and then she credited me too. She shouted out like, Jay, thanks for telling me how to pronounce Putin. I was just distraught. But anyways, that was that. Was that. So <laughs> thank you for listening to this show. So if you want to get a hold of me, DM me at The Aimless Cook or email me at j at theaimlesscookpodcast.com or of course, message, send your voice messages and whatever on The Aimless Cook page on Facebook. And if you have any pr- suggestions and whatever, please let me know. And of course, if you like this, please rate and review and most importantly, share with your friends because this is how we grow this show, folks. And if you want to support the show, please pay a visit to the merch shop. You can get shirts, you can get hats, you can get all sorts of stuff. So until then, my name is Jay Del Coro. You are listening to The Aimless Cook. Be kind to one another, and we'll see you on the next one. Peace. (laughs) 